rolling dice and taking names. RDTN is a show with two longtime friends that talk about board games, card games, and anything else that grabs their attention. Squirrel! Here are your hosts, the Waldorf and Statler of board gaming podcasts, Marty and Tony. Hey, and welcome back. Tony here, and as always, we're still members of the Dice Tower Network. We haven't figured out how to get kicked off yet, thank goodness, So, and I'm always joined with my best bud. How's it going, Marty? Doing just fine. All right. Well, we have got another special show here, and you know, being episode number 52, and I changed the name on you, Marty, this is Yellow Submarine, man. Uh, there must be a meaning behind this somewhere. We all live in a yellow submarine. Well, no, yellow submarine. Um, first off, our special guest today is Chaz Marler. And uh, the last time he was on, we did Nowhere Man. So I think every time Chaz is on, I'm going to go with a Beatles song. Okay. <laughs> nice. Thank you. And also, Well, then he could come on a lot because Beatles has a huge catalog. Exactly. I will never run out. And also, Yellow Submarine about going under. We're going to be talking about the gaming industry. Is it going under? Oh, that's good. I just thought it was because Chaz reminds you of some uh, drug-induced animation. No, no, no. Isn't no. that the okay. one where they threw no. the holes around? Look, I got a hole in my pocket. And anyway. I don't know. I saw that was as a kid, and it's like, I do not get this at all. The 60s were an odd decade. Yes. Well, it hasn't been long since we recorded, but something has happened since we did, and that was Mace. And we had a, well, Marty had an incredible time. I wasn't feeling well and had to bug out early. So, Marty, how was Mace? Mace was absolutely phenomenal. It was kind of a weird situation this year in that we had to share the hotel with a visiting football team. There's a college right near the hotel where um, Mace occurs, and there's a football team that came in to play another local football team, and they actually had to take one of the big meeting rooms for their uh, Saturday Saturday morning meeting before their game. And thus, we lost one of the gaming rooms. So it was a little bit more cramped than what it normally was, but it was a fantastic crowd. There was a a lot of good vendors there. I got to try a lot of different games. Uh, We got to meet up. uh, You and I got to play some games with uh, Robert Burke and and play out, uh, try his game or play his game, Operation Faust, which I was so excited to do because I don't think you and I have played that game since many iterations i remember we played that game way back in the spring and he has really tightened that game up to be a really solid uh bluffing game and for somebody that didn't like bluffing games you kind of walked away kind of liking liking it didn't you well uh, if i were to rank my bluffing games it would be number one right now over the rest of them so yeah i mean we played it at international tabletop day when he had, was just getting it started he really has and unfortunately by the time this is aired, i think um faust will have closed out but it is fully funded Mm -hmm. so um way to go robert another another great game for you and um still god man gotta get his other one draco out on the table you and i need to play that sometime but we will we'll get that get it out there so yeah i was surprised at how many people and then once again another big shout out to stronghold games for giving us our diamonds copies for our tournament that we had where we raised money for dan patrice's um charity um, gamers for cures and we um marty put all this together and it, it raised you know hey it's not every little bit helps but you know the guys were really generous they they allowed us to donate 60 dollars to gamers for cures and two people walked away with um 
a copy of um, Diamonds. They didn't have to share it. One person got one and one got the other. But yeah. And um, But the best part of that whole Diamonds tournament was our good buddy, Mark. He, I've never seen in a six player score that low of points. He is, that was just, <laughs> he had the cruddiest hands. Oh my, if that was a table flipping moment. If I'd been him, I'd been like, what, why am I even playing? That was awful. Now, was it cruddy hands or was it a cruddy player? No, it was cruddy hands. He, he just, cruddy hands. Okay. Yeah. He just, he, it was, his hands were so well distributed that no matter what people led, he was getting, he had to follow suit. And so he could take no actions and that will kill you in that game. You know, yep. So, and we had uh, we had every spot filled for the tournament. No open seats. My wife was going to play; she didn't get to, and uh, Tony and I were going to sit in if we needed to. No need to. So, uh, the organizers of uh, Mace were very pleased with the turnout we had uh, for that event. That went really well. It went really smooth. We basically played two rounds, and uh, just we took the top scores uh, between the two rounds. Whoever had the highest score uh, won one game, and then we had a a drawing uh, for another one uh, based on the number of dollars that you uh, gave towards the uh, charity. Right. And so um, with that, you know, we had um, Chris, Chris Norwood, who is, who's actually a fellow podcaster out there. He, he took away, he was the big winner, um, but he only won by five points. So it was very tight games. Everybody played very well. So that, that was a great tournament. I'm looking forward to it next year. If um, Jeff and Ron will have us back. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think you and I have been talking about some strategies as we're getting ready to go off and face Rhiannon and Suzanne at BGG. And now we've we've talked junk, so I hope we can just back it up now. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. Who knows how it'll be. So, But anyway. Another, yeah. an, another vendor that was there, too, was uh, Gray Fox Games. And you had mentioned Draco, Ma- Draco Magi, and uh, they're the ones that's publishing that game. And so there were people uh, there playing that game. But I also got to play another game that this is going to be on Kickstarter from the end called Captain's Wager. It is a, a, a betting uh, a card management type game that after I played one time, I thought this is really fun. And then I played it again. I went, wow, there's also a lot of strategy in this game. Uh, it, it is a really unique game that I hope to be uh, uh, previewing at, at some point in the future, but I don't know if it's out on Kickstarter yet, but it will be soon. It's by Gray Fox Games, Captain's Wager. So keep an eye out on that one. That's going to be one of those two. It's just a good, fun, basic card game that's going to be under the $20 price point. And I'm a big fan of those types of games. Oh, good. And you also got something very interesting recently that you were um, shy, uh, showing off on Twitter, didn't you? Yes, I did. So uh, Gameland Games sent us a preview copy of their new game from the Tiny Epic series called Tiny Epic Galaxies. And if you know Gameland Games, they've also done Tiny Epic Defenders and Tiny Epic Kingdoms. Tiny Epic Kingdoms was the first, and it was a small card game. Uh, with with meeples and little pieces, it was an inexpensive game and a, a lot of game in a small box. It's kind of like a a simple 4x style of game. Tiny Epic Defenders is a co-op game. Now this is a game, and I just read through the rules tonight, started monkeying around with it. It is a dice rolling game uh, set in a science fiction. Uh, Uh, type theme to where you start with a planet and you try to colonize other planets and uh, when you colonize a planet you're able to take possession of that planet and that planet gives you victory points and the whole goal is to collect x amount of victory points and and win for the game you have to collect 21 victory points and as you play the game you have these little nice cool little spaceships i'm not sure if that's going to be in the final version or not but these cool little wooden spaceships 
And you can spend resources to increase your fleet, which allows you to go out to more planets, which allows you to colonize more and more quickly grab uh, victory points. So I haven't played through it yet, but it was kind of funny. So I actually sat down and started mucking around with it tonight. And so there's a dice rolling game, right? And typically I'm not very lucky at dice rolls. I actually ran in, ran into a combination of dice rolls in my first turn to where I couldn't do anything. There's uh, there's actions on the dice that when you roll them, you you have like you start out with four dice and there's icons on them and each icon means a certain action that you can do in any order. Well, it just so happens the icons I got, I couldn't do anything. So I reached out to Scott Alms, who designs the game for Gambling Games, and told him my situation. He was like, uh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> he said, did you re-roll? I said, yep, I used my option to re-roll. And he said, you still didn't get anything? He said, nope. I said, he said, ooh. Yeah, well, thanks for bringing that up. We need to address that. So, again, it took a very unlucky guy you know, the chances of this happening are pretty slim, but to me it happened. So I actually found a way to where you couldn't do anything on your turn. Look at you contributing to a game. You go, big boy. Mm-hmm. It and go. it was it was really cool. He said, thank you so much for bringing this up. He said, I you know, I guess I was thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm schlep rock over here with a cloud over my head. So if there's going to be a find a way to find something that doesn't exactly work because of bad dice rolls, it'll be me that does it. And I did it. Oh, that is so cool. Well, I can't wait for you to show that one to me and see what it's all about. So, And, and I'm sorry, I... When's it coming out? It is going to be on Kickstarter in January. January. I'm, I know you mentioned it, but I'm sorry I drew a blank there. Because something is really bothering me. I keep hearing somebody bang around in our green room back here. You know, Chaz, he's our special guest tonight, and I think he wants out. That's, don't lock the door on these people, Marty. They, if they want to leave, they can leave, okay? Well, look, we, we'll give them a nice buffet in the green room. I think they could be content until we're ready to bring them out. But, yes, so here's the thing. Chaz has been uh, willing to uh, come on and talk to us about something that he's talked about on Board Game Breakfast, where he's compared the existing growing hobby game market with uh, what happened with the comics market back in the 90s where the comics got really popular and the bubble kind of burst. And it's something that we had talked about before too, but we compared it to the ball card market back in the 80s and 90s. So we thought, why don't we come on and compare notes? So if you want to, why don't you go and lock the door and let him out and let's talk to him. All right, I'm on the way. Marty, I, I cannot believe who has decided, who's willing, willing, mind you, to come back on our show. What are we, how, how are you doing this? Are you sending them moon pies? Are you trying to intoxicate them to come back on the show? I mean, we got Chaz sitting over there. I think it's just masochists that just actually say, yeah, I'll come back on your show after the brutal beating they got the first time around. But yes, Chaz from Paradise. Paradise is back on with us. Hey, Chaz. Hi. Hello there, guys. How you doing? I'm doing great. How you doing, man? I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm, <clears throat> I'm honored to be invited back so soon after the last time I was here. You trust us. You don't have to butter us up. So real quick, let's catch up before we get to the segment. So the last time you were on, we were talking about your um, campaign for funding and all. How did all that turn out for you? That actually turned out uh, really, really good. Um, the The campaign came in at about $3,500 raised towards season two. And based on the research that I did for it, you know, that's it's kind of the level I expected. The target goal for the for the campaign was higher. But I set the target at what I thought, well, you know, regardless of what I expect, here's what I would need to achieve in order to meet the goals I have for it. So that's what I set at it. Um, and, you know, the support that came in and the, the feedback and the communication 
um, it just was it was really overwhelming and it was it was more than I could have asked for and I, I'm really grateful for it so um, I just I told myself that I wasn't going to come on your show and you know ask for money uh, this time but uh, I will if you want me to uh, but your campaign's over, so there's nothing to ask for anymore, right? I, I meant you guys directly. You know, I. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, I'll have my my checkbook at BGG Con, so just walk on up. He won't be at BGG Con. Outwit it again. That's my point. <laughs> you crafty, crafty devil. And I had a moon pie for you. Now, now this is going to be over by the time this comes out. But um, Chaz, you're doing a huge thing for the Jack Vassal Memorial Fund. And again, this will be over. But uh, why don't you tell them what you did and what the winner is going to get in your oh, auction? Oh, this this is so awesome. Yeah, I am so excited about this. I, I wanted to contribute something to to the Jack Vassal Memorial Fund auction because it, it's a, a cause that I, I really think is really special, especially to our gaming community. So I thought, well, you know, gee, I don't have any real things to give away except maybe my time. You know, I make these videos. And then I thought, hey, why don't I make a mock documentary or a mockumentary about a gamer, someone who who bids on the auction and wins it. Uh, what I'll do is whoever wins, I'll get some information about them. They can send me pictures or other info and I'll make, you know, a, a fake documentary talking about their board gaming exploits and how amazing they are in, in the industry. And that, that was neat. And then I, I mentioned it to a couple of other people in the kind of board game podcasting community that I know. And, you know, the response was, Oh, I'll do that too. I'll, I'll contribute. And then someone else, Oh, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And there's now more than a dozen different, uh, personalities. Uh, Marty is on the list. I know that. And, um, there's also, uh, Rodney from Watch It Played, Tom and Tom Vassell and Eric Summerer from the Dice Tower podcast. Uh, they're, they're both going to contribute to it. And then there's also, um, if I was smart, I would bring up my full list here. Ignacy from uh, Portal. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joel. Uh, Joel Tiffany Eddie. from One Tar. Did Lance Undead Viking say yes? Uh, no, he went out of his way to uh, come over and tell me no. No, <laughs> I think uh, I, I don't. I, I actually don't know if um, I don't. I don't communicate with him as often, so I don't know if I ever was able oh, to get it. So basically, him. we're making him look bad for this. Yay! <laughs> but uh, so yeah, let's level up. Uh, talks from Chris Happen, Hunter from Weapons Grade, um, Anthony from uh, the the Cardboard Jungle, and um, Rhiannon from Spooning Meeples, and just on and on and on. There's over a dozen of them now. And I, uh, whoever wins it, I promise to put uh, more quality and effort into that documentary than I'm putting <laughs> into this uh, interview right now. Because this, this is um, 10 seconds away from me asking if we could start over. <laughs> <laughs> so, ah, so here, you're doing great. I, I don't want to say you're start, we need to start over. That was just that's, but it, it's awesome that you're doing that for him. And yeah, the, yeah, I'm point out that yeah, no, I'm I'm not part of this because well, one, I'm, Marty didn't tell me because he well, we just stopped there. <laughs> um, dude, you were in the group that you saw this advertised. You could have no. said I'll do it. No, you yeah, you know me. Yeah. Okay, Mr. Social Media here. I ain't anyway, moving on. But no, that's great. So So Chaz, here, here here's the thing. I already know exactly what I want to do for my segment, and I'm gonna tell you 
off air because I don't want anybody else to steal my idea. Oh, that sounds extremely dangerous, but uh, <laughs> I cannot wait <laughs> because what we're talking about is like, because the whole idea is right is to like make a documentary on this person, how great of a, a player they are. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I've got the greatest idea. <laughs> so I can't he's been wait. so happy about it. He's, 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 oh, he's just beside himself. <laughs> I love make, videos. I, even though our main thing is the podcast videos is such a creative way to have fun. So that's, mm. that's my creative outlet is the videos. And, and this is just our staple right here. <laughs> so enough about Chaz. Let's talk about us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so no, the reason why Chaz is on here, Marty, um, well, we've been watching his, little segments on the um, board gaming breakfast and he brought up some he's bringing up some very interesting points about the gaming industry something that marty and i mentioned in our 2014 predictions that confused the heck out of people when it was released and we had to go back and explain it but that's okay because we're not as articulate as Chaz is obviously so and that's more or less about where is the hobby heading where is it going with um is it going to crush under its own weight? And Chaz, of course, is doing his about comic books. And 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 Marty and I talked about it from a baseball card standpoint. And now that I've introduced it, I'm going to let these two go ahead and talk about it. <laughs> wow, thanks. So, um, yeah, so at the end of last year, we had contributed a segment, I believe it was to the Dice Tower. It was like, what big question do you have for uh, 2014? And ours was, can this market sustain itself? And people were very confused by our answers. So we had an episode where we talked about uh, Tony and I were into the baseball card market. And we got into it into the 80s, right as that really started to grow. And um, we said that over time that so many companies saw that the baseball card was such a a lucrative market that they started flooding the the market with new cards and new content and more cards and more sets to the point to where people got so tired of it, they couldn't keep up with everything. And thus they started getting out. Thus it crashed and it's never recouped then. And Chaz, I believe you and your segments have kind of said the same thing happened with comics in the nineties too. And I was a comic collector in the nineties, but I'll let you speak about we know what you saw. Well, um, I have a kind of a unique perspective, I think, in it as well, because in the mid-90s, I actually was um, not only into comics, I was also self-publishing uh, regionally in the Pacific Northwest, uh, a comic book as well. So I, I saw kind of it from both sides, and I would go to these conventions and uh, from um, you know Eugene to Portland, Seattle, and, and all kind of in that area, and I would say from from 93 to, to 96 is kind of the, the time period that I was really going to these conventions. And you'd go to these conventions and you would just see more and more and more and more small press publishers there and starving artists and such. And just also the more mainstream publishers uh, making more and more titles and having more and more imprints and more and more publishers there. And it, it just seemed like as... They grew, then the market, of course, was uh, more flooded and more competition. And the things that the different companies started doing 
to try and get the attention and the market share became more and more outrageous. You started to have the foil covers and the hologram covers. Then you'd have entire die cut issues uh, that are like, you know, instead of being a rectangle, they were cut like this to match the picture on the front of the cover. There was one that had a bullet hole through the entire comic. Um, They actually shot it with a pellet gun or something. Um, They, you know, that was the selling point of that. And it just got, you know, kind of ridiculous. And some of the, um, the genres or the, um, kind of the, the, there was a whole quote unquote bad girl genre, which is where a lot of people think it jumped the shark. Um, and you had like, you know, Catwoman and Dawn and this is the only two that even stay in my memory at all. But you had all of these, uh, comics going that way, just going into the absurd. And then, uh, within a couple of years, all of the, uh, these, a lot of the small press and indie and starving artists were just gone. And, uh, you know, everything kind of just collapsed. And the, like I mentioned in the, the board game breakfast episodes, my town at the height of the, the comics kind of bubble, uh, had seven or eight comic book shops in this one town. And, you know, with, within the space of one year, it went back down to the original two. So it, it was a pretty, cataclysmic uh, implosion or contraction of the industry, at least in my area uh, and what I saw in it. All right. So let me compare the, the board game, board game, the ball card market with kind of what you just said. So in the eighties, it was like, everybody started buying these, these cards and the Beckett, uh, there was a monthly magazine and Tony, I'm sure you remember this, the, the Beckett price guide. Uh, I actually had a monthly subscription to it. told you the prices of all the cards and so the prices of cards were skyrocketing. You you had uh, rookie cards from like Jose Canseco and um, and Mark McGuire that were big. Tony and I, I think got into it in like eighty uh, eight or or eighty nine uh, eighty eight actually. And um, so what happened was in eighty nine things really took off when this new brand new company that many of you may have heard of Upper Deck decided to come out and make a premium baseball card. Now typically it just been a cheap you know card or whatnot they came out this premium card heavy cardboard glossy that also was twice as expensive as a regular pack of cards and it shot off it took off the big card in there was the king griffey jr rookie card which tony and i had a couple of and we thought we're going to send our kids to college off on that stuff and we're serious we honestly thought that our card collection was going to help with college so then all of a sudden, all these big companies, Tops, Fleer, Don Russ, started putting out products left and right. It wasn't just one set anymore. It was multiple sets. It was end of the season sets, preseason sets. Then in the 90s, like you said, uh, Chaz, you started having the full covers and stuff. There was full baseball cards. There were special baseball cards with pieces of uh, jersey uh, embedded into the card. It was just insane. And the, the, again, the, the price has skyrocketed. All these stores opened up just like the comic book stores. I think in our area, we had four or five big uh, ball card stores. We had huge uh, monthly uh, bar cor- uh, ball card uh, fairs, um, uh, flea markets that would come in and, and sell all these cards and stuff. Market collapsed. There, I don't think there's, is there any ball card stores left in? I can think of one, Tony and Matthews, tri- AAA ball cards, unless you can think of another. No. Mm-hmm. There, there's no such thing as like the, the ball card auctions anymore like we used to. There's no flea markets, just gone. And now there, uh, that market is just limping. And it sounds like that's a good comparison to what you saw with comics. Not saying that comics is limping. I think comics is doing okay, but it's probably not as big as what it used to be. Yeah, well, um, there was a 
something I wanted to go into on the series, but I just didn't have enough time to work it in the segment is, uh, just before, like the, the late 80s, just before the comics boom, boom I, I remember hearing some news story about the cyclical nature of events and fads and, and everything. And they talked about the, the term that they used was there's this 20 year cycle until things reach kind of like a belching point. And, and I thought that was a really interesting phrase to use for it. But you kind of build and build, and then <clears throat> everything just kind of vomits all over itself, I guess, for lack of a better word, when it reaches this belching point, and you have this contraction or this implosion. And what I thought was really – the thing I wanted to work into the series, besides figuring out a way to work in vomit into it, was that the uh, cyclical nature of things – yeah, in the 90s, uh, we, we had this – boom and bust of the comics industry and with marvel studios and such today you know with the movies and everything that are coming out it's been about 20 years later through this cycle and you know marvel and dc just released their what their seven year plan or more for the movies they're going to be coming out and the response to that was everyone said wow that's neat but oh my goodness that's a lot of movies and my could i I'm going to get sick of these by then. And it makes me wonder if the comics, um, at least with the you know, movie side of things, are about to implode again with too much market saturation and you know the, the everything they're pouring into that. And the reason I mention all of that is, one, I wonder if you've seen any sort of 20-year cyclical nature to the baseball card industry. You, you said it never really rebounded like comics has. Has there been any sort of cycle you've seen? I haven't. Um, I've been out of the the card market so much, but I do know this. Many of those companies, big companies, are now gone. There used to be a company called Don Russ, gone. Fleer was actually bought by Marvel Entertainment. They're gone. The only one left is Topps. I know with baseball cards, the Major League Players Association... Uh, had multiple contracts and multiple car companies. I think it's just down to tops now. And about the only place I can find them is like in targets. They got that wall over there with the magic cards and whatnot. And they still have ball cards over there. I don't think there's a collectible market there anymore. I don't think that people buy them to try as an investment. Back when we were doing it, cards were an investment. I don't know if comics ever were viewed as that. Were they viewed as investments for the future? Oh, I, I think that there was um, some investment speculation going on. Uh, I'm reminded especially of the death of Superman era. Uh, I knew a guy in college. <laughs> I knew a guy in college who was talking about how he was all proud of himself that he managed to go out and and scoop up five copies of this issue and he kept you know, four of them sealed in you know in these in in the bags the acid free bags and everything and you know that's 20 years from now 40 years from now I'm going to sell these and be you know so, so well off and the the problem was that it was you know like the the Hollywood block blockbuster syndrome it wasn't a surprise. You have to, to have an investment. It's got to be something that sneaks up on people. If you go out and print 5 million copies of an issue, it's not going to be collectible. And even if you grab up all there are at the store and tuck them away for 40 years, it's not going to be uh, worth anything more than cover price. But, uh, yeah, I think there was, I think there was quite a bit of investment speculation. And actually that is, um, kind of the four points I wanted to cover in the board game breakfast episodes with the comparisons to the, the, the board game industry, the investment opportunity 
the misguided investment opportunities, I think, are the main point that doesn't quite cross over to the board game industry. At least, not any way the industry has figured out how to do yet. But we'll see what happens in a couple months. So, in investment opportunities, as we cross over into the board gaming thing, so there are certain games that are out of print now. And you can see them escalating in price. Um, so that is the only type where I can see that that's somewhat happening. I mean, you know, case in points, every time Tom Vassell mentions the Star Wars, whatever game that was. Queen's Gambit. Queen's Gambit. <laughs> yeah. Queen's, yeah. <clears throat> that one left my mind too. But, and you see it, it goes set 200, $300, you know, that kind of stuff. I think there's one actually selling it down at the BGG con that somebody put out for auction. So who, who knows? That, that to me is the investment right now. Well, let's, let's even step one step back. I mean, a bunch of nerds here just talked about ball cards and comics. And that's like, what's this have to do with board games? And Chaz, you talked about it on the show. You're just saying you see somewhat of analogy to all of a sudden the board game market is growing like crazy. Everybody is putting out tons of games. Everybody's putting out games on the Kickstarter because it's like we're all everything that goes out there we're buying up we're soaking up and then we saw the same thing with the with the market so the whole point of this is do we think there's a chance that there could be a bubble for the hobby board game market to where it will crush it'll crash under its own own weight because us as gamers will just get to the point where it's like forget it i just can't bind everything anymore and a lot of these small companies like you saw with the comics will just dry up and go away that really is the the question, um, and yeah, like I said in the series, you know, I'm I'm just one guy who is seeing what seems to me as a trend that I've seen before. You know, you you talked about I already talked about the gimmicks a little bit, which is one of the the main points. The market saturation. You know, I have five stores um, in my town now that are selling board games, up from one or two uh, just within the last two years, and which so. Sort of, Reminds me of that kind of inf- inf- increase in uh, stores. Um, the collectability definitely is, is going on. So, you know, I, I didn't want to make the series come out saying, like, the end is near, it's going to explode. I just thought it was really curious that it seemed like uh, history was repeating itself a little bit in, in this in this market. And, and But a key point in the history is everybody thinks – you can get rich. They did in comics. They thought they could in baseball cards by sticking cuts of jersey in them. Ah, look, he raised his finger. He he wants to make a point here. And, and go ahead so you don't forget <laughs> oh, it. Oh, I'm uh, sorry. I'm just waving my arms over here like a madman because uh, yeah, there was – I think we just mentioned that the one aspect of it was that the investment speculation was the thing that – one thing that didn't really seem to fit. But as I was doing this, I, I was mm-hmm. thinking, well, you know, what about Kickstarter? It's not necessarily uh, an, you know, um, perhaps misguided investment speculation from the consumer standpoint, but from a publisher standpoint, there's an awful lot of people that are running Kickstarter campaigns, you know, with the objective to raise money to invest into these properties. And so maybe there is a, a kind of investment thing of going on. It's just flipped the, to the other side of the coin. And that's maybe why we don't see it as clearly. Right. But as we've heard many times over, people are learning quickly that you're not going to make money producing a board game. We've got <clears throat> so examples of that 
where somebody said, oh, I, I, I released a, a game that I funded for $3,000 and I came away, raised 5000 and ended up making $500 at it at best. So you're right. I mean, it, they're learning quickly that this may not be the case, you know? Well, but, but there, but there is somewhat, I mean, maybe aside from the investment thing. And it's funny, Chaz, that you said that because I came on tonight going, aha, there's one thing that I do, do not think crosses over. And that is the whole in, investment perspective. I can't see myself buying games thinking I'm going to pay to put my kids through college with games I bought. So I, I don't think that at all. So I don't think it fits there, but I do think the idea of Hey, I, I can get into the board gaming industry and, and make some money and just keep putting out stuff and keep people keep buying it. And here's the thing. So I'm probably going to step on some toes and I apologize, but these are just perfect examples. Well, pa- uh, pause before you say it so you can edit it out later. <laughs> okay, pause. <laughs> Let's look at the number of versions of Flux that's been released. Let's look at the number of versions of Munchkin. Love letter. There's a new version released every other month now. And yes, I'll buy the Batman. I'll, I'll, oh, I'll get I'm it. so disappointed in you, Marty. <laughs> but I, I know. I'm. A, but I only bought. But why are they doing this? Is the game different? No, it's just another flavor that they know will sell, and it is selling. Eventually, that's going to stop. It's eventually just going to come to the point. It's like I'm not buying another version of Love Letter, or or Flux. I kept thinking that for Munchkin, but I swear they've been doing that for, what, 10, 15 years, and they keep buying There's it. There's a lot of milk in that cow. Uh, going right along with that train of thought um, is uh, I was speaking with, with Anthony. Um, I was <clears throat> speaking with Anthony from the Cardboard Jungle, and he mentioned there's an expansion for Bruges coming out. And he said a phrase that I thought just framed this whole discussion perfectly. He was talking about the expansion for Bruges, and he said, you know – I'm going to buy the expansion when it comes out, but it doesn't really need it. So right there, that collectability investment kind of aspect, it can be seen again where are we becoming creatures of habit where we're just grabbing everything about a certain game, even if we're thinking this game doesn't even need this add-on, but I'm going to get it. And is that going to just keep happening until we all run out of money and then all of a sudden the stores are going to have a whole bunch of expansions they can't sell and not be able to stay around. Possibly. And Marty, we haven't even touched on how does the LCG aspect fit into this as well? Well, it's actually a great segue. I was actually going to mention FFG. Think about it. Those guys are now living off expansions between their LCG business and X-Wing, I mean, they keep coming out with new ships all the time. Guess what? Here comes Armada, and they're already announcing the expansions for Armada. Oh, guess what? Imperial Assault. The base game's not even out, and they're already talking about the expansions for it. So FFG is making a living off that. And yes, I'll raise my hand when the expansion for Eldritch Horror comes out next month. I'll probably pick it up because I've got the other one, and I feel like I need to buy the next one. But does it give you replayability? It probably it well. I would hope it does. I don't know that the latest one did Yig, but this one has some new things. I would say that Bruges actually has some value to it because it adds a fifth player. And in our gaming group, that was kind of important to us. So I know we're probably going to pick that up here. But you're right. I mean, can we keep this up? Will eventually be that all these stores just have tons of expansions, nobody's buying, and then they'll eventually stop. I I don't know. I just don't see how I can keep on going. And I could be totally wrong, and I probably am. 
But like you, Chaz, I just see I've seen this before. Yeah, and that's that's really all I wanted to say is I I also I think I've seen this before. And is this indicative of signs that it's going to happen to the board game industry as well? You know, and, and again, I'm not saying yes. I'm just saying that this seems awfully familiar. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not saying that FFG is going to go away or. Um, you know, uh, Stronghold, Yell, or any of the, the bigger guys. It's the really small guys who only have one or two games and maybe putting out once a year. It's those guys that may mm-hmm. disappear. Well, I mean, we've talked about Kickstarter and how it's fluctuated. I mean, you know, you could do, oh, number of board games on Kickstarter. You can see them all on one page. Now you keep hitting load more, load more, load more. So, yeah, you're right, Marty. I mean, people are trying, and it's a wave, and pretty soon it's going to come down. So, well, hopefully we'll be around to see it. Unlike our baseball cards, we didn't see that coming and didn't sell them in time. <laughs> but what happens? Let's say we're right. Would you change your habit? Would you change your buying habit? Let's say we're one hundred percent right, and this is going to happen. Will that change how you do? Uh, you, will that change you as a consumer in this market? I think. I think my experience from the other two, or from comic books and from baseball cards, it already has. I already recognize. Hey, like you and I've discussed, Netrunner. It's time to pull back on that. It's time to, am I going to buy these expansions? Well, only on the game that I'm going to replay. I've already learned that lesson, but have the earlier ones who didn't get the baseball card hopes stash? Who knows? I think it depends on if we're right and there is a big contraction, what that does to the product line that becomes available. Is it that you can still get the same games you can now, except they're just harder to find and you have to like maybe buy them online from a larger online retailer instead of going into town? Or is it going to be that everyone tightens their belts and goes with the, the sure things, you know, the munchkins, the love letters, ticket to ride, settlers of Catan, and you only have those things to choose from? That's, that's what I worry about is that sort of change. And if that happens, then yeah, that would definitely be a, a change my, my purchasing habits. Well, I mean, yeah, there's so many uh, designers right now trying to get in. I mean, they have a, an, a way, a, an avenue to get their foot in the door and get something done through Kickstarter. And like Tony brought up earlier, we've, we've heard from designers and, and publishers who've used Kickstarter and still fund their project, but still lose money in the long run. And now, you know, if they start seeing the money dry up, I hate to see that because then those guys will go away. You know, the the designers who have these really great ideas that can't get their foot in the door at these bigger companies, now it's going to be even harder if the companies start seeing shrinkage in their bottom line, then they're going to stop taking as many chances on these new uh, designers that are coming out and others look failed has a game. Yes. We'll publish it. If Joe blow has a game, I don't know. Yeah. Going back to the analogy of the comics industry, you know, when I was going to the conventions and, and everything, you know, I, I was have the starving artist row that I, I was in and you'd have, you know, comics coming out and publishers coming up, you know, comics from Valiant and Malibu, Vertigo and Image, of course. And um, Scud from Fireman Press was really popular at the time. And of course, Dark Horse and Chaos and Eclipse. And I was just trying to make a list of all the logos and stuff I remember seeing back then. And you know, I can't, if I went to a comic book shop today, I don't know if I could find a single issue from any of those small press publishers. And it became, you know, at that time, the comics industry, anyone that was one of those, you know, independent, starving artists, small press publishers, it just, the doors got closed because 
when the industry started to collapse, they didn't want to take as much of a gamble. They instead doubled their efforts into the properties that they had and the franchises that they could just, um, you know, for lack of a better word, exploit to, uh, you know, to, to kind of double down on the sure thing. As a buyer, it's not like each month I have more dollars to spend towards board games. I still have X amount of dollars. So even though there's more and more board games coming on the market, I'm still only buying the same amount. So if everybody's doing that, the only way this market can survive is if more people come into the market to buy those games. So now, will the hobby continue to grow or will it reach a peak and reach a peak of saturation with even number of people or gamers coming into play. Again, too, it depends if there is some sort of contraction. It also depends on what happens to the pro- the products that become available. You know, uh, I'm like you. I have X number of dollars to spend on this industry every month. But if all of a sudden there's a contraction that makes it harder for small press people, small publishers to develop their games, uh, and get them into the stores, and all I'm left with are the big-name titles that I already have in my collection, there's not going to be anything really for me to buy to make that impact um, and support my local stores and, and such, and which will cause them to wither. So it's kind of one of those things of, uh, if, the, if, if this happens, there's the segment of the casual people that are just kind of the looky-loos that will be drawn to the next big fad and their dollars will go with them. But then you have more of the people who are really invested in the hobby and love it, you know, like, like we do. It could even affect if we spend our dollars here, if, you know, there's, it's kind of this vicious cycle. If the new stuff goes away, we're not buying it, but the old stuff that's tried and true is necessary, um, at the same time. And if those people are gone, they're not buying that, well, then who's left buying what? Well, again, is my hypothesis wrong? There's only two ways I see this working. The current gamers spend more or more people come in. Is that, am I, am I off base? That's there? a logical argument to me. <laughs> I think we've... <laughs> Good point. I'm trying to have an intelligent conversation I here. think we've I hit a point there. We've, we've, we've become too profound for our own good. <laughs> I think I think you're, yeah. I'm I'm trying to pull up here, trying to come out of this deepness. Either less games come to market, or more people come in, or we spend more. The 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 one thing about this whole series that I presented is that I ended it with kind of just a po- possible market scenario, and I didn't have a finale episode or anything that said, "Oh, here's the solution." Because I don't know what if there is one. I don't. I don't know what has to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. So I thought I'd just leave it open on a cliffhanger to to discussion. Uh, the only possible thing I thought about is, is: does it require kind of the the Jerry Maguire approach of you know fewer titles and f- smaller titles? You know, and instead of trying to grow and grow and expand and expand, do we need? Does the industry need to go in the opposite direction? And is that even is that even realistic and plausible? I don't know. Yeah, probably not because as long as people are buying, I can I don't see any company saying, you know what, we're going to start pulling back and not produce as much as long as they think they can make yeah. a buck. I mean, they're a business. They're going to continue oh, yeah. to put, produce product. 
So I, I don't see anybody voluntarily raising their hand going, okay, we'll be the guys that won't sell as much as what we normally do. All right. So this is over the, over the course of the year from the time we got started, Marty, on the, not the show, but our original start, we noticed how big box stores were ramping up with these non Hasbro Mattel type games, right? So we, sure. th- so we saw Pandemic, Ticket to Ride, uh, all these games that are not normally mainstream coming to these stores. Have you looked at the shelves lately? Yes, I have. And they're harder to find now. I Every time I walk into Target, I look and see what they got. And I remember a year, year and a half ago, it's like, wow, look at all this cool stuff they got. X-Wing and all this. It's really about Pandemic and maybe Settlers. And that's all I about see anymore. And Ticket, yeah. Ticket, yes. So you're right, Tony. I guess the the big uh, the big box stores. I don't know about Walmart, but I know about Target because I just go in there a lot. I guess maybe they saw. You know what? We took our chance on all these maybe more obscure games. That maybe the ones that did, people didn't know about. I remember seeing like a Game of Thrones hobby game and stuff, and it's like, and but of course, well, you remember X Wing was they were selling it for seventy percent off. Mm-hmm. So obviously that wow. didn't work for them. There's one incident of it. So, but games have always been on the toy stores or in the on the toy shelves. You will always see them, but they are always the ones that are easy to produce and easy to make and can get there. Well, here's the, I went into Toys R Us last week and wanted to see if there are any hobby games in there. And the one that's near you and I, there were hardly any. Oh uh, yeah, I agree. <clears throat> I was in the one in Atlanta, and it was just there wasn't a whole lot there. That's what has me kind of concerned. The mainstream took a shot at it. And I don't know that you, it took. you know. Right. Um, I may be wrong, but wasn't speaking with Target about Target specifically. Didn't Target and uh, Will Wheaton's tabletop strike some sort of deal where the the games that he feed? Okay, so yes, you saw last year, a few months ago, a whole kind of an influx of these games come in. Well, that was also when the tabletop episodes were being released, and of course they completed that season. And, you know, isn't, uh, as the date of this recording, isn't the first episode of the new tabletop season premiering today? Yes. And I'm sure uh, Tokiado, or I think that's what it was, is now going to have a big s- s- surge in sales. Well, yeah, that's. I wonder if over the next couple of months, we'll see Target get replenished with a bunch of stock. Um, if it will go in, in sort of this cycle following tabletop if they have the same marketing deal worked out. And uh, I just wonder if that is, can have that much of an impact on it. And if that might be why you saw this ebb and flow. Don't know. Barnes and Noble is probably one of the few stores that still has a whole bunch, but then you wait for their 50% off sales to occur to you pick up some good buys. And that's a great point. Barnes and Noble does have a very wide selection of hobby games. They do. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. Mm-hmm. They do. All right. Let's lighten the mood. I don't, how, what was that chess? Oh, I was just going to say, you know, every I, 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 you know, on, on Twitter and stuff, I'll see you and other people say, Barnes & Noble is doing their 50% off sale today. And every time I do that, I take a long lunch at work, and I go down to my Barnes & Noble, and they are never on sale. So I don't know if I got, like, the one that's owned by uh, Old Curmudgeon or something. It's like, no, I will not put this on sale. But I have never once seen a game 50% off at Barnes & Noble like everyone else does. Do, do they ever put anything on 50%? Do you ever go in and see the clearance area? I have never seen a board game on clearance there. Interesting. So, yeah. You may just have to have them scan it. They may not mark them. They may just have to scan it for you. So, by the way, 
I loved your, your tie-in with the Abyss covers. That was hilarious. That had me rolling. That was funny. And, and yes, that, that was really good. But actually, see, that's a very good point. So that goes back to the investment collectability thing, right? So back in the comics era, there would be people who buy all four versions of a cover. I don't see anybody buying four versions of Abyss. It's just what, what do you want? Yeah, no, I understand. But I'm saying back then, the purpose was collectability investment. This four copy versions of Abyss wouldn't be that. I, I would agree there. I think that the main reason I threw that in there was just kind of I saw that and it was like Funny. that was one of the things that sparked the entire idea for the series. And it was more of a not look, you're redoing this thing that they were doing. It's more like, what in the world are you guys up to with you? Know, why did you do that? And it was more of a. Just this strange out of left field thing that I saw. I wasn't trying to imply that the abyss was trying to sell five times as many copies to people, but I, I just thought it was bizarre. No, it, it was hilarious that you, you that you pointed that out. So, Marty, here's here's a few things that I think we're not doomsayers here tonight, but what I am saying is, and we will be if we see the following events that occur in board gaming. One, if we see a board game come out that has clips from Ignacy's shirt when he was designing his next big game, and it's, and it's okay. So that, that'll be one. Um, number two is if we see on the back of games where they reverse the cover art, you know, like they printed the arrows, errors in baseball the cards. Error. Yeah. <laughs> if they print that, if they do that, that's the doom of, of gloom there. And three, if they have any type of obscenity on the end of a player meeple like they did the Billy Ripken bat where they had the block and the bad words on it and they produce that. Those three things, I'm out of the hobby. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if you know about that, uh, Chaz, and anybody else listening. In the late 80s, there were these cards that got released that were error prints. One famous one was a reverse negative of Del Murphy in the uh, in, in Upper Deck, and it was shot up in value. Another one which Tony referenced was Billy Ripken had an obscene word on the bottom of his bat, and it got released. But the funny thing is, that's not the most valuable one. They fixed it with in two different ways. One, they put a white block over the bottom of his bat. One, they put a black block over his bat. The white block was worth more than the black block. <laughs> Dead serious. It was the funniest thing. Now, here, here, the whole Ignacy shirt thing has to be... You don't see it. It's in the. It may or may not be right. in the box. You just got to keep buying boxes till you hope you get one. You got to buy fifteen boxes of Imperial Settlers and hope that you get a, a piece of cloth from his T-shirt. Anyway, that that that's to lighten the mood. So, so how are we done on this? Are we are we still good on this topic? You want to keep going? Like I said, we don't have solutions, and you guys may be listening. You guys and, and ladies may be listening to this, going saying you you are out of your mind. You don't know what you're talking about. If that's the case, and that probably is the case, let us know. Go to our uh, guild on a uh, board game geek and, and give us your reasons why we think we're out in left field. Why there is no way this market's going to burst and it's going to sustain itself. Or if you think there might be some truth to what we're saying, but maybe see some other points that we're missing, uh, please let us know on that too. But as we move on from here, now, Chaz, I don't know if you've listened to a couple of our most recent episodes, but we have a new game that we play with our guest, and it's called Rank'em. 
and you will now be our third person that we bring in. And let me tell you, the Rankum has gone really well over at our guild page because it generates more discussion than the actual episode itself. Right now, there's a big fight on our guild between Dan Patrice and anybody else that doesn't like Ascension. So if you want to be entertained, uh, go read that. So what we're going to do here, Chaz, is we're going to give you three items and you rank them. And whatever preference you want to, it's totally up to you. And then you can tell us why you ranked them that way. And then we'll, uh, we'll do the rankings ourselves too. Do you understand the rules of this game? Yeah. Did you guys ever come up with a final ruling on whether or not I can add my own options to the list? No. If there's one I don't. <laughs> no. You cannot do that. I'll play by the rules. Okay. <laughs> this is, you, you can't do a house variant on rank them. <laughs> All right. All right, here we go. Number one, we are going to uh, tag team with these. Tony has three, I hope, and I have three. Oh, I got to do three? I, I was Okay, I'm on it. I do, not, I do not know Tony's. He does not know mine. Here we go. Since we were talking about comics earlier, Marvel, DC, or Independent? Ooh. Oh, well, <clears throat> I... I got to go first independent uh, just because that that's where my blood is at. Yo. So independent, <laughs> then Marvel, <laughs> then DC. We got urban all of a sudden. So. <laughs> sorry. You, you just lost like 50 more listeners right there. I'm sorry. <laughs> or gained 50 more. You never know. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Indie Marvel DC. Indie Marvel DC. Tony. Marvel Indie DC. Ooh. Ooh! Wow, this is interesting. Mine is DC Marvel Independent. Oh, and people are like wondering maybe what is an independent? I'll tell you a really famous independent that I wish I had foresight to buy issue number one of, and that's Walking Dead. <laughs> that issue is worth a lot of money right now, and that is considered an independent. So, hey, we was kind of all all over the board on that one. But I've always been a DC fan since I was a kid, so that's why it's near and dear to my heart. Tony? All right. Along with that theme, and like we said, we had not talked about this before, so it's just kind of funny how Marty and I think alike at times. Um, Catwoman, Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn. Okay. Uh, this, this one. Harley Quinn by a mile, then Catwoman, then Poison Ivy. 100% agree. Harley Quinn, and again, by a mile above Catwoman than Poison Ivy. Harley Quinn's just awesome. All right, so I'm not going to change that. Harley Quinn, Catwoman, Poison Ivy. Hey, Mr. J. <laughs> <laughs> that was eerily good. <laughs> I watched a lot of Batman the Animated Series, so loved Harley Quinn in that. I used to skip class at college to get on an earlier bus to get home back to my apartment to watch the Batman anime series. <laughs> okay, is it not seriously one of the best Batman series of all time? There was, I never, never liked Clayface, but there was a little Clayface trilogy of episodes that are among the, the best, uh, that uh, of that whole series, I think the Clayface ones were surprisingly good, and their adaptation of the Laughing Fish. Oh my goodness! Oh, they have lines verbatim out of the issue in that. It's just oh, I, 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 the Laughing Fish episode is one of the greatest things ever done in comics media ever. And I can I can't think of that episode. I have to go pull it up on Netflix because oh, those yes. are things are on Netflix now. 
Um, yeah, I mean, number one, when you got uh, Mark Hamill personifying the voice of the Joker and Bruce Conroy will always be no Kevin Conroy. I'm sorry. Kevin Conroy will always be the voice of Batman to me forever. He, yes, he is Batman. I'm just his voice. Yes. Always. And forever. You're right. Is this one of the Rankums? Cause I'm doing real good on this one. <laughs> I'm just, I can sit here and talk about Batman in the animated series forever. And if you're not watching uh, the most four or five years, the DC straight to DVD animation movies, Highly recommended. Very good stuff. I I haven't seen any of those, but I have one of my best friends uh, watches every single one. And he's like, you have to watch this. And I just have this growing, growing pile. And I, I got to sit down and get through them all. Okay. Uh, first one to start with is Under the Red Hood. Seriously, oh, one of the I, best ones I have, I've ever I have done. watched that one. I have watched that one. That was amazing. That one. Yep. I'm sorry, man. If you ain't watching that stuff, I, it t- it it beats movies that's been done on yes. um, Batman. That was an incredible movie. And then uh, The Dark Knight Returns was also done very well. All right, so here we go. My second one is actually going to be game-related. Settlers of Catan, Ticket to Ride, Carcassonne. Oh, my word. Okay. I got to go with... Oh. <laughs> this Settlers first, uh, because that was one of the games that reintroduced me to the hobby back then. Then Carcassonne, because I, I love a good puzzle. And then Ticket to Ride last, because I have publicly gone on record with my opinion of Ticket to Ride. So, <laughs> Well, then, yeah. You, you got to stay consistent then. Yeah. I can't, uh, can't fudge on that one. Tony? Well, then I, I unfortunately have not heard your public record of Ticket to Ride, but I will definitely ferret that out because mine it would be <laughs> Ticket, Settlers, Carcassonne. And mine is Ticket, Settlers, and Carcassonne, mainly because I can't stand doing the scoring on Carcassonne at the end. If it was on the Xbox app, which I used to do, that's fine, but the scoring at the end of Carcassonne drives me crazy. <laughs> I have mostly played Carcassonne on the iOS app um, for that pretty much that reason, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're all great games, and they're right, except for, obviously, Ticket to Ride for some people, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I just, I, uh, the, I cannot get into the theme. I sit down to play a game of Ticket to Ride, and all I see is laying sticks down on a board. Uh, I can't get into the theme at all, and the very first time I played it, I, you know, I heard it hyped and hyped and heard you know, all this talk about it. The very first time I sat down to play it, I played the game, and when we're done, it was like, okay, you've taught me the base game. Now show me all the bells and whistles and how it works. <laughs> oh, that's it? That's the whole thing? Oh, oh okay. And so there might have been a case where it was kind of oversold to me. But I understand. It is what it is. It's tracks. They're tracks. You're building tracks. They're sticks. Come on. It's not that hard. They're sticks. Well, actually, they're little plastic trains, <laughs> but that's all right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. For my second is... Um, Steve Martin, the late great Robin Williams, or Richard Pryor? Ooh. Okay. Mm. Just like Harley Quinn, Steve Martin by a mile, <laughs> then Richard Pryor, then Robin Williams. Mm. Marty? Again, man, Chaz and I are on the same wavelength night on the first one. Steve Martin by a mile. Um, I just have so many fond memories of him. And I will have to put. Um, Robin Williams ahead of Richard Pryor because I just didn't watch a lot of Richard Pryor stuff except what he did in his movies with like Gene Wilder. 
So that's the only reason why. Um, I would see. I'm going to rank them based on their one stand up, the stand ups that I've seen. So it'd be Robin Williams, Steve Martin, Richard Pryor. But that, but if you were, if I were to rank them by movies, oh, it'd be Steve Martin because Aguina back in the bowl. Yeah, I know. Yeah. All of me. All of For me. people God. who who oh. didn't watch the eighties movies. So. Oh, it was so good. So good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's my last one. Because we're heading into the holidays for Thanksgiving. Turkey, ham, or turducken? <laughs> well, I have never had turducken. Is that a turkey stuffed with a ham stuffed turkey or some sort of fish with a turkey? It's a it's a turkey. Stuffed with the duck, stuffed with the chicken, or a turkey stuffed with the chicken, stuffed with the duck. Okay, that's the... the, the Turducken. Turducken. Oh, it's in the word. It's in the name. Okay, that's clever. <laughs> okay. It's, it's like uh, coming up with a URL called Paradise Paradise. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, okay, I, I, I'm just going to have to go with turkey, then ham, then turducken, but... I am intrigued. Okay. I'm reiterating what Chaz said, by the way. Your name of the show is still awesome. I'm sorry. It's awesome. (laughs) Turducken.com was taken, so. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, this is Chaz from Turducken. (laughs) That'd be awesome. (laughs) What'd you say, Tony? Did did you say? Same. Turkey, ham, turducken. All right, I'm going to flip them. I'm going to say turkey, turducken, ham because turducken's pretty awesome. I had one in uh, in Mississippi and it was it was pretty darn good. All right, and for the final one, and this is all just for you, Chaz, just for you. So are you ready? Okay. Cumulus, stratus, or cumulus nimbus? <laughs> <laughs> Tony, you're my hero. <laughs> Oh, okay. Now, oh, we put you on the stop. Okay. Now, I believe that the clouds I have behind me are cumulus. I think that is correct. They? Okay, so I gotta we gotta give we gotta give props to cumulus because they're they're uh, they're right there behind me, literally. So, cumulus. Then uh, our nimbus, the really high ones uh, in the summertime. Cumulus nimbus is your thunderstorms. Yes. Okay, uh, I'm gonna go then. I think. The order you gave them, the cumulus, then the nice high nimbus, then the cumulus nimbus ones, because we don't get those as often. Stratus. It was cumulus, stratus, or cumulus nimbus, which is thunderclouds. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. So it's cumulus, stratus, uh, assuming stratus are the nice high, high clouds, and then the the thunderstorm ones, because we just don't get as many thunderstorms here uh, in this area. All right. Marty? Oh my gosh, I'm so glad we don't share notes beforehand because that was funny. I thought you'd appreciate oh, that one, dude. That was good. Uh, okay, uh, Cumulus Nimbus, because thunderclouds are pretty awesome when you're in the in the mood for it. And then um, Cumulus and Stratus. I, I agree with you. I love a good thunderstorm cloud. You can see off in the distance and just watch the lightning. That's just They're just awesome. So... Yeah, and then cumulus and the stratus. Not not not, not to take away from your cumulus, there, your Chaz. They, they are special. So anyway, all right. So that was rank them, um, Marty. You want to close this out for us? Oh man, Chaz, thank you so much for coming on again. That was so much fun, and I hope that uh, 
I hope that we'll get some people thinking about the whole market thing. I mean, I really appreciate the segment that you did. And it's so funny when you started doing those on board game breakfast, it's like, holy cow, it's kind of like deja vu. I've currently already had this conversation before. So that's why I was kind of wanted to wait until you wrapped up. Uh, so you wouldn't do you'd come on and like give away any spoilers or anything and then have you on and talk about it. And I, I think, I think it's something to keep an eye on. I really do. I think, uh, with the number of Kickstars happening every day, something's got to give. Either the hobby's got to grow or the, or the games are going to shrink. But, again, I could be wrong. And if, and if you guys think I'm wrong, please come uh, tell us why we're wrong. But, anyway, before you go, Chaz, um, why don't you tell us where we can find you? Okay. You can find me currently on the Rolling Dice and Taking Names audio podcast with Marty and Tony. <laughs> After this podcast is over, you'll be able to find me, as always, at pairofdiceparadise.com. I'm also at Dice Paradise on Twitter and Pair of Dice Paradise, all one word, on Facebook. Uh, just search this interwebby net and you should be able to find me. What's your YouTube channel? Is it shortened or anything? Or? Oh, no, uh, I believe the YouTube channel is just uh, Pair of Dice Paradise, all one word. I really hate you're not going to be at BGG, man. I do, too. I, you know, I, I'm looking at my schedule for 2015, and I, I want to um, go to a few more conventions out of state. And from what I'm hearing about people preparing for BGG Con, it, it sounds like it focuses just on the games, a little more low-key, and it really sounds like it would be a scene that I would dig. And, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. so I don't know where, how I'm talking today, uh, props dig. So I apologize. Uh, no. <laughs> anyway, it sounds, sounds, sounds like that's groovy, man. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. It's anyway. So I, 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 I am hoping to go to more and see you guys and some of the other people that I've gotten to know over this last year. We've got to cross paths somehow. I, I, are you even going to attempt Gen Con next year? Uh, you know, the current plan is yes but if the hotel and airfare and the tickets itself don't pan out because i heard it's just a mess when they go on sale and it can be a little bit of luck to even get them if that falls through then origins and bb bgg con are like my fallbacks so we'll we'll see what happens okay um right now i tony can't look that far into the future but right now i'm planning on being an origins also and origins is also a lot of fun cool yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. That, that would be great. Um, again, thank you so much for coming on. I know that you got to go take care of your daughter. We're three hours separated between each other. And, and thank you for taking time, scarfing down some food and, and sharing some time with us. And now you can go tuck her into bed or, or whatever you do with little girls. I, I have three boys, so I don't know what you do with little girls. So. <laughs> Usually with little girls, you find they tell you what you're going to be doing next for them. So <laughs> Ah, especially even when they're in college, right, Tony? Don't even go there. I got another story for you at lunch. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's always a pleasure to to talk to you guys. (laughs) Again, thanks so much for coming on, man. Appreciate it, Chaz. Thank you. Hopefully it was somewhat informative and entertaining because that's our whole goal here. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think you're right. I think definitely informative. I mean, it's always – see, I had never really put the comic book thing – with the game, I, I don't, you, cause you know, you and I both did both baseballs and comic books, but I never thought about the variant covers and things like that. And, and just, you know, crushing under its weight. Cause I always wondered, cause I got out of comic books early enough on that, that I didn't see mm-hmm. the big fall. 
you know. <laughs> but <laughs> you do have the uh, Superman dies issue, don't you? Like I do. I think I still have that one. I sold the majority of my comic books, so I, but I do I do think I still have the the, the Superman dies in the black. Um, yep. Uh, bag yes i do have that one still <laughs> yeah well, you didn't sell uh the wedding gift i gave you did you No, i still have spider-man number 300 that is still there and all my i still have all my amazing spider-mans uh, i will never sell those i will hold on to those until i have to will them to rebecca that spider-man's actually still worth something is it well good that's a mcfarland signed by mcfarland so that's, that's oh awesome. it's signed yeah, that's signed by McFarland. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't know what I was doing. I should not have had it signed. Otherwise, I'd tell you to go get that thing graded. No, that's okay. It's it's the thought that matters. And my wife looks at me, wait a minute. They gave us for our wedding gift, you a gift? I said, yeah. We got a problem here? <laughs> yep. So I started off on the right foot with her. So there you go. There you go. That's why you can't play. That's why you can't come out and play with me anymore. It's over that dumb gift I gave you back 20 years ago. That's pretty much it. So, well, Marty, we're going to be stretching the show out. So let's just cut it off short here. A um, couple things in the works. Um, first off, you and I heading to BGG, heading on a jet plane. Like, thanks. The earworm. Oh, I understand. What, I, see, I don't know what that means. God, you people talk all this stuff on social media. And okay, I, l- l- let me explain. Earworm is when somebody mentions a really catchy song or something and it gets stuck in your head. Earworm. Okay. Ta-da. Oh, thank you. I didn't know that. Okay, well, I appreciate it. So anyway, we got that. And for some odd reason, somebody tweeted out about, we'll give them a moon pie if they do something. Oh, dude, I... There's a 50-pound limit on luggage, okay? One box of moon pies can't be that heavy. Yeah, but if there's 900 people there and they all saw the tweet... Well, there's hopefully not enough... Yeah. Okay, see, now you're thinking. See, you're tweeting without... You're not... You're tweeting without engaging. That's okay. That's all right. Yeah, I'll just stick... Well, I'll stick some in your suitcase. Yeah, I've got too many games I'm selling. So... So, and probably be bringing back a bunch. Yeah, that's the whole thing. You make sure we got to clean out the space to make sure we have room to bring back all the cool games that we are going to be getting while we're there. Yeah, um, got, I got my allowance saved up. I'm ready to run. Um, the other thing that we want to mention out, guys, is like we did last year, our second year anniversary is coming up. And with that, um, last year we did a survey and we'll be putting that together again, be listening for that to come out. And we really appreciate all the um, responses we got. And we will admit the responses were based on winning a prize. So we know what it takes to get responses. We've got to, <laughs> we've got to offer you something. <laughs> so It's like we're, they're sitting there with their arms crossed. If you want me to participate and play then you got to give me something you got to give me something i ain't gonna do this so so marty and i will do our best maybe at bgg we can get a a a pack of cards who knows but that's don't (laughs) don't expect a lot okay so anyway um that's coming up and other than that i mean hey when you hear this we'll be heading on a jet plane going to bgg and then we'll be eating some turkey and then we'll be coming back so you know um enjoy the show marty any final thoughts people still call it a jet plane just go with it oh well, okay yeah, bye bye. no again thanks so much Chaz, for coming on um it, it was a, a great time with him as always we were chit-chatting off air about uh, some things we want to do together and, and shoot videos and we're talking about this other video thing project he's going to be doing with the winner of the jack vassal memorial fund so 
got some cool things in the work for him and make sure to go out there and, and, and subscribe to his channel. And heck, while you're out there, go subscribe to our YouTube channel too, because I've seen some teases and this may already be out of some great videos Tony is doing with uh, uh, some some box openings and putting things together from broken tokens. So you guys going to need to go check that out. Mario will have some more musings as always. So just we're, we're just playing around, guys. We appreciate you watching them or if anything, start them. And then you can get out. And that way it will count as a watched or a number of views. That's all I ask for. Okay. Number of views. And because I can't only run them up so high. Um, so anyway, if you would just do me a favor and keep rolling dice and taking names. You can follow us on Twitter at Dice and Names. Or why don't you visit our website, RollDiceTakeNames.com. Or if you prefer, subscribe on iTunes. Or how about visiting our guild page on BoardGameGeek. Did you not think what this could mean by giving out moon pies? No, I didn't think that many people would want a moon pie. It's just a really nice little sweet treat. Gamers gaming all day eating crappy food. Oh, jeez. I did not think this through.